Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. John is teaching us how to walk. How to walk as authentic Christians so that we might recognize that we are indeed salt and light. And God has given to us the responsibility of making a difference in this world. Here in chapter 3, we are going to discover that we are to walk in love toward the family. I'm going to ask John Paternoster to come to the platform, please, and to read this passage of Scripture for us. You follow along in your copy. 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. 
For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. May God bless the reading of his word as we take it and apply it to our hearts and live it out through our lives for his honor and for his glory. Our text this morning will begin with verse 11. And we will discover that we have a responsibility to love one another. Now I have two purposes today. The first purpose is to take us through the text and discover six reasons that we are to love one another. The second purpose is to help us practically apply the scripture as we understand what it means to love one another. We are to walk in love toward the family. Connie and I have been married 47 years. It will be 48 years this coming May. We were together nine years before that. We were simply children. I met Connie when she was in the seventh grade. I was in the eighth grade. I wanted to make sure that she matured just a little bit before we began our relationship together. So I waited until she was in the eighth grade before I kissed her for the first time. God has blessed us, and and we've had a great time together. Some time ago, I went online, and I I took one of those compatibility tests. If you have enough courage, you too can do that. But as I took the test, and the evaluation came back about our relationship, Dr. Love said that Connie and I have a 75% chance of making it. Let, Let me read you the evaluation. Dr. Love thinks that a relationship between Tom and Connie has a very good chance of being successful. But it doesn't mean that you don't have to work on that relationship. Remember that every relationship needs spending time together, talking with each other, focusing on the needs of one another. Now, I want you to catch that last sentence. Remember, every relationship needs spending time together, talking with each other, Focusing on the needs of one another. You see, our relationships are designed to bring us together. We must understand that in our relationships, we are to draw close to each other. And we are to understand that we move together because of our relationship with each other. Brenda, will you put that next phrase up here, please? Love moves us toward one another. Will you read this with me this morning, please? Because I want you to catch this truth. Here we go. Love moves us toward one another. Let's try that one more time. Some of you weren't real enthusiastic as you read that, all right? Here we go. Love moves us toward one another. Now, love does not separate us. Love brings us together. 
And even as we apply the truths of Scripture, we must understand that if I am to love you and you are to love me, we must recognize that we're in this thing together. And it takes spending time talking, focusing on the needs of one another. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, I think it is really important that we understand what it means to love the family of God. Now, Jesus put it this way in John's Gospel, chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, if that didn't tell us enough, let me draw your attention to 2 John chapter 1 where we read, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. That's important. Just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. We are talking about being authentic, being real, recognizing that in this world, if we're to be relevant, we must be who we say we are. Some weeks ago, we looked through 1 John and we discovered several identities that help us be authentic. Let me remind you of some of those. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. That's our text this morning. So, what does it mean to love the family of God? Let me give you six truths that help us identify with this kind of love, and then we're going to try to make it just very practical this morning. The first truth is this. Love is foundational to any relationship. Verse 11 of 1 John chapter 3 simply says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, we read earlier where Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. There are some who translate that, I give to you a renewed commandment. Some commentators will tell us that the reason Jesus was giving that to his disciples is because he was expanding the family. Up until that time, the family had been Israel. And God loved Israel because they were to be loved. Not because they were special, not because they were mighty, not because they had a lot to offer, but he loved them simply because he loved them. And now he is expanding that as God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. You know, that's always been God's redemptive plan. We could go back to Genesis chapter 3 and we could discover how man violated God's command and was separated from God. But God promised to send a redeemer. And throughout all of the Old Testament, you see God working toward this promise. God's redemptive plan was to send Jesus Christ as he loved the world and gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In 2017, we spent Wednesdays the whole year talking about God's redemptive plan. And we discovered that God's redemptive plan could be summed up in nine C's. Now, I need to tell you that seven of these C's came from answers in Genesis. But Ken Ham and his organization left out two very important ones, so I added them. I hope it was all right with Ken. The seven C's that Ken has given to us are creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, cross, and consummation. He left out the call of Abraham and he left out the church. But if you want to follow God's redemptive plan throughout history, you start with creation and God said it was very, very good, right? And you get to Genesis chapter 3 and there was corruption of that. You move into Genesis chapter 7, 8, and 9, and you have the flood, the catastrophe that took place. You move to Genesis chapter 12, and you have the confusion of the Tower of Babel. And then you, that's Genesis chapter 11. Then you move to Genesis chapter 12, you have the call of Abraham. And that takes us through the Old Testament. And then Christ came on the scene, and he went to the cross, and he established the church. And one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You see, God's redemptive plan shows his love for mankind. But God's redemptive plan is a personal plan. It's a relational plan. God loved you, God loved me enough so that we might have a relationship with him. And his son came to die for us individually so that we might be born again into the family of God. Isn't it great to be part of God's family? But you know that being part of God's family makes us part of this family. And so we have a relational plan that is so, so important. And we need to recognize that in God's relational plan, he has given to us the responsibility of sharing in each other's lives. Now John here gives us a couple of illustrations. He says, we should not be like Cain. You're familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Abel offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. Cain did not. And Cain killed Abel because Abel was more righteous than Cain. That's what the text says. Folks, we've got to be careful that we don't judge others through our selfish, righteous indignation and John here says don't be like Cain Cain committed murder you can't love your brother and murder him Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment and whoever says to his brother Raka that is fool shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Ephesians chapter 4 says, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And you and I need to be careful that we're not like Cain. That's why it's so important 
that we work on our relationship. And you've heard me say time and time and time again, it's always your turn. In Matthew chapter 18, if you've got ought against a brother, you go to that brother and you reestablish that relationship. Why? It's because it's a relationship that God intends to be lived out in love. In Matthew chapter 5, if you go to the altar to worship, if you come to church to worship, and you remember that your brother has ought against you, you go to your brother, and you do it, leaving your, your gift at the altar, and go handle it, then come back and worship. If you've got ought against a brother, if your brother's got ought against you, and you're aware of it, it's your turn to go and put that relationship back together. John gives to us another illustration. And he says in verse 13, don't be surprised that the world hates you. Now, why would the world hate us? Because the world lives according to selfishness. The world lives according to my rights. The world lives according to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I am somebody and I deserve it. The world lives, I don't get mad, I just get even. And when we live out a life of love that goes contrary to the world, and frankly it convicts the world, because they don't understand, they don't get it. Don't be surprised when you try to show love if the world doesn't receive it because they don't get it. And so as we think about love being foundational, we have to think about it being foundational to the redemptive plan of God and to the relationship we have with each other that is lived out in this world. Love is foundational. By the way, to love the family is not the way of the world because to love the family is giving, not getting. If we are to love the world, we must be active in our love. Now, I need you to look down at verse 18 of our text. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. And John simply says this, little children, let us not love in word, or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is active. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 reminds us of what love is really about. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in wrong, but rejoices in truth. That's the activity that has come from our lives. And it says, love never fails. Now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three. The greatest of these is love. You cannot sit by yourself and not touch people and show love. Love is Active. James puts it this way. You show me your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. 
May I give you a Townsend translation that goes with this morning's message? You show me your love without your works. I'll show you my love by my works. For love without works is dead. Being alone. Love is to be active and to be shown from our lives. Love also can be measured. Now, this is not easy, folks. This is not easy. And if we're going to get serious about love, we have to look at God's measure. It's not whether I think I've loved you in a way that pleases God. It's what does God say is the way that we are to love to please him. And it's in our text. Jump back now to verse 16, will you please? By this we know love. All right, here it is. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let's stop there. (laughs) Wow. If I'm going to really love you, I've got to be willing to lay down my life for you. Jesus said, greater love is no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, this is serious stuff. This is not just an emotional response. This is an activity that needs to flow from our lives. If I really love you, I need to be willing to demonstrate it in such a way that I would give my life for you. Now, that should not take those of us who are married by surprise. Because Jesus said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's love. I don't know how many of you have seen the film. Uh, Now, you know film is a Baptist word for movie. I don't know how many of you have seen the film Hacksaw Ridge. If you've not seen it, you ought to see it. Because it's the story of Desmond Doss, who was a conscientious objector during World War II. Now, because he was a conscientious objector, he refused to pick up a weapon. And in his service, he became a medic. Doss went through a difficult time because of his conviction. And the story forms around Hacksaw Ridge, where Doss, time and time and time and time again, risked his life to save his comrades. Doss is the only conscientious objector who served in the military that was given the Medal of Honor. And I quote, The modest man of faith claims to have saved 50 to 100 wounded soldiers from certain death. He held a powerful allegiance to Christ and was a devoted member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church He became the first conscientious objector to receive the U.S.'s, United States military's highest honor. How do you measure love? Am I willing to die for you? 
That's love. That's, that's real love. Oh, boy, that's serious stuff. That's not just an emotion. Well, I love you today because you're nice to me. That's serious stuff. And then how is that fleshed out? Well, our text says in verse 17, but if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide him? How, how is that fleshed out? It's fleshed out, and I reach out to you, and I meet your needs. I reach around you, and I share in your life. And it's not about what I get. It's about how I love you, and I demonstrate that love to you. The measure of love is that we give up our lives and we give over our goods to the honor and glory of God. Now, you are familiar with the four truths of stewardship, are you not? You are. We've shared those before. One, God owns it all. Number two, God gives it all back to us to enjoy. Number three, we can increase or decrease its value depending upon our investment and number four, one day we'll have to stand and give an account before God. There it is. Give up our lives and give up our... Go- this is serious stuff, folks. And you thought this message on loving the brothers was just going to be one of those deals. Yeah, I know that's true. Let's stand around and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. That's not it. That's not what the Scripture says. That is not what God requires you see the reality is loving the family is an issue of the heart again our text verse 19 by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him for whenever our heart condemns us God is greater than our heart and he knows everything Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You see, here it is. The Spirit of God works in our lives. And he takes the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to help us recognize how we are to respond as God's children. And we are to respond as God's children as God responded to us. We love him because he first loved us. And that is what this world needs to see from our lives. And authentic Christianity does exactly that. But it's an issue of the heart. After John read this morning, I said this, may God bless the reading of his word as we take it and apply it to our hearts. And live it out through our lives, for the honor and glory of God. Amen? If we know that the Spirit is working in our lives, then our hearts will not contain us, condemn us. But it's all about being sensitive. You see, here's the deal. Many times I, we, don't even consider how God wants to work in my life. We don't even ask the question, does this bring glory to God? We just kind of do it. 
And yet it's all about a hard attitude, isn't it? And loving the family is an issue of the heart. I don't know about you, but my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And I have to work very, very hard at this because it is real easy for me to identify what others are not doing that they should be doing in their lives. How about you? When it all comes down to me identifying what I should be doing with my life and recognizing that that's all God is going to hold me accountable for. It's an issue of the heart. It's God's Spirit who brings things to our remembrance. It's God's Spirit who teaches us truth. It's God's Spirit who works with our spirit that we are the children of God. Right? Love the brothers. That's the proof. One of the proofs that we are the children of God. Loving the family means that we live according to his commandments. Verse 22 says, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Think about that. This is not doing what we want to do. Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. Whoever does not love me doesn't keep my word. And I think it interesting that he attaches keeping his commandments to the power of prayer. Did you notice that? If we are to have a power with God through prayer, we need to be in a place where God will bless us. And that means we keep his commandments. Psalmist puts it this way. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. <laughs> if I don't keep his commandments, he won't hear me. Proverbs chapter 15 says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but here's the prayer of the righteous. You want a solid prayer life? Keep his commandments. As obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to our former lust and ignorance, but as he who has called us is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of life. And that's all about loving the family, folks. And the yardstick that we have in loving the family is abiding in Christ. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this kind of love. I can't do it on my own. I really can't. I can only do it as I abide in Christ. And the last sentence in chapter 3 says this, and by this we know that he abides in us because of the Spirit whom he has given to us, abiding in him. Take some time this afternoon to read through John chapter 15. Fruit and vine, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. 
Jesus also says in John chapter 15, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We could go back to 1 John chapter 1 where these things are written that our joy may be full. We need to abide in in him. And we can abide in him because his spirit abides in us. So, why should we love the brothers? Because it's foundational. Because it is an activity that is to be lived out in our lives. Because it can be measured and it's an issue of our heart and it's his command that we abide in him. Now, how do we do that? Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. And as I I share this with you this morning, I am sharing with you where I am and what I struggle with. I'm not talking about any of your activities. I'm talking about my activities. Okay? And if your activities are different than mine, and you are living according to God's work in your life, God bless you. Now, it's important that we understand what Scripture says. So we go to Romans chapter 12, and we read this. Love one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's Scripture. I am to outdo you in giving you honor and lifting you up and putting you ahead of me. That's scripture. That's not culture. That's scripture. Let me take you to Philippians chapter 2. Here we go. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. And then the text says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Took upon himself, Christ took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Now, folks, we live in a fractured world. It's a tough world. Politically, socially, economically, people have distanced themselves. We live in a world that even among believers has caused disagreement, debate, discussion, dissension, and even division whether it's the election results, government shutdowns, mask wearing, vaccine, to gather or not to gather, that is the question. (laughs) And yet, in the midst of this fractured culture, we are to show love. Last Tuesday night, in our leadership meeting, we wrestled with some ways that we can Be consistent, but continue to 
live lives that are safe and secure and still ministry during COVID. And we, we struggled with how to do ministry while trying to be consistent during COVID. It, it's tough, folks. It's brutally tough. And one of our guys said this. We need to look for a way to say yes. How can we do ministry even if it's under some restrictions but continue to impact lives being consistent as we can be? And I understand we can all always find inconsistencies. But what can we do to say this? That brought me to this thought. While trying to have an authentic walk during COVID, or at any other time, (laughs) COVID will not last forever. Jesus may come back before we get over it, but that's okay. Look for a way to show love. And that's an everyday deal, right? How many of you get your gas at Sam's Club? Okay, several of you. You know what bugs me at Sam's Club? Somebody pulls in the pumps the wrong way. My gas tank is on the right side. I wish auto manufacturers would put the gas tank on the same side in every vehicle. It'd make it a whole lot more simple. But my gas tank is on the right side, and that's not where many are. And so people, instead of waiting in line, will ignore the arrows, and they'll pull in the other direction. And usually I get there when somebody is pulled in with a trailer. How can I show love? I don't show love by beeping my horn. I don't show love by giving this person a lecture. I don't ask them if they can follow arrows. How can I show love? Practical question, isn't it? To wear a mask or not wear a mask, that is the question. I have chosen to wear a mask. And I do it because I come in contact with a lot of people who are uncomfortable if I'm not wearing a mask. Sunday mornings I wear a shield. The reason I do that is because a number of people don't hear well and read my lips, and so I want them to be able to read lips. I talked to somebody last week, and what they did when they get around these people is pull down their mask. That's love, folks. That's love. I wear a mask because I love you enough, I respect you enough, I honor you. It's not about me. I heard somebody on the television the other day say, if you've had COVID or had your COVID shot, throw away your mask. I've had my COVID shot, my first one, but I don't throw away my mask. I honor you because of that, and we ought to honor one another. And that's just a silly illustration. You see, it's not about my rights. It's not about my selfishness. It's not about my self-esteem. 
It's how can I show you love? You say, well, you're letting everybody else dictate what you do. No. I am letting Jesus Christ tell me what to do. And Jesus Christ tells me that I need to show you love no matter what. And I need to find out where you are. And I need to honor you. And I need to respect you. And I need to encourage you. Now those are stupid things. Probably I should not use that word because somebody's going to write me this week who's on the web and say, we don't use the word stupid. Those are insignificant things. But folks, it's loving the family. And it's living out salt and light wherever we are. Because I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. And I are part of his family. Now, that's me. You come to a different position, that's you. But I am going to have to stand before God, as you are going to have to stand before God, and I'm going to have to give an account for me. And you are going to have to give an account for you. And part of that account, I believe, is how have I loved the family of God? And by the way, is not the great commandment that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul and our mind? And we are to love our neighbors ourselves? And did not Jesus in Luke's gospel, when he told us that, then tell us the parable of the good Samaritan who reached out to someone who was different than he was because there was a need? There we are. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about loving the Father because we love Him because He first loved us.